Good morning friends and welcome to our Sunday morning podcast. My name is John Thorpe. I'm the minister here at Shell Harbour City Anglican and it's great to have you with us and particularly if you are joining us for the first time. Over the last couple of weeks we've enjoyed a lot more freedom than we have had for months and it's been absolutely fantastic and it's been great to gather more and more as a church. And so a couple of weeks ago, our ladies uh, got together in, in various homes for the Mad Hatter's Tea Party. Our connect groups are meeting again face to face. And our Cross Life Kids and Cross Life Youth programs are back at the church each week. And next week, from Sunday, July 5, we'll be meeting again for our services throughout Sunday. And so we'll still have a live stream, uh, but it will look similar but different to what we're doing now. And we do all of this stuff because we love God, uh, we want to express our fellowship together, and we want to grow together in our faith. Over the last uh, 10 weeks, we've been looking at the letter of 1 Peter and looking at what does it mean to live as aliens in the world. And today, in particular, we're going to look at what does it mean to live as aliens in the world together as Christians, and what does that look like practically. In this podcast, we'll also have some music, uh, we'll have a kid's spot and a time of prayer. So I hope you find it all encouraging and uplifting.
My name's Amanda, and I'm the children's minister here at Shahaba City Anglican Church. Nate loves when people come to visit. He doesn't always love packing away, but he's good at it and he's willing to do it so that visitors can enjoy their time here. Avery loves getting to say hello to new people. She's excited to greet people as they come to visit us. In today's passage from 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11, we're going to be hearing about something that we should be waiting for. We're going to be hearing how we should be hospitable and what it looks like to use our gifts to serve others. Hi, I'm Gemma Bartlett and I'll be leading us in prayer this morning. Almighty God, our loving Father, you have proven yourself trustworthy and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Help us as your people to stand firm in our faith, to be alert and sober-minded, and to find greater pleasure in following you than in anything else this world can offer. We ask you to make us strong, firm in our faith, and steadfast to the end. Almighty God and loving Father, we rejoice that you pardon and forgive those who submit to your Lordship and truly repent. Please forgive us. This week, we have failed to live up to who you have called us to be. We have done what we shouldn't have done and not done what we should have done. Help us through your spirit to live godly, righteous and holy lives and finally come to your eternal glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, giver of life and health, Hear our prayers for the sick and those who minister to them. This week we pray for our brother John Overton as he continues to recover slowly in hospital from illness. We uphold him and his wife Maylene to you and ask that you will help them to trust in you for everything they need. We pray for Judy Kembry awaiting surgery next week. Calm any anxiety she might be having and give the doctors great skills and wisdom as they treat her. We ask for Eileen Chapman as she undergoes tests that you will be so gracious as to provide answers and good treatment for her illness. Almighty God, Father of all mercies and giver of all comfort, deal graciously, we pray, with those who mourn and in particular this week for the family and friends of Ray Turner. As they cast all their care on you, 
may they know the consolation of your love and the hope to which you have called Ray home. Thank you for her life and witness to the saints of this church, for her joy in Jesus, and for your kindness in saving her, safe now in the arms of Jesus. Amen. This week we pray for these members of our church family, for Sean and Steve Barnes, Matt, Gemma, Georgia, Tom and Hugo Bartlett, Michael and Sandy Batelic, Anne and Jeff Bennett, and Karen and Daniel Binstad. Heavenly Father, we ask that you may give these people the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that they may know Christ better. We pray also that the eyes of their hearts may be enlightened, in order that they may know the hope to which you have called them, the riches of their glorious inheritance in the saints, and Christ's incomparably great power for us who believe. Almighty God, thank you that you have merciful control over our ever-changing world. Help us to surrender our will to you more and more, trusting in your goodness and power to change things. We ask that you would hear and answer our prayers this day in accordance with your will and for the sake of your glory. Amen. Good morning, I'm Rob Gooder, and it's my pleasure to bring you this morning's reading from 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. As we get into this passage now, let me begin by praying. Dear Lord, I pray that as your people, we might love one another deeply as we live as foreigners in our world. And I pray that, guided by your spirit, I might speak as one who speaks your very word. Amen. Most of us are pretty good at procrastinating. If we feel something's going to be hard, then it's easy to justify why it'd be so much better to do it tomorrow than today. So tomorrow would be a great day to start eating better and exercising. Tomorrow would be a great day to start that essay. And tomorrow would be a great day to invite someone to church. In fact, tomorrow would be a great day to go to church uh, for ourselves. Uh, it's not that we don't find these things important. We just don't feel that they're that urgent. And so it's easy to put them off, and particularly if we feel that it's going to involve some sort of conflict. Then it's so much easier to do it tomorrow than today. And then, of course, you know, we look back and we lament that we really should have done it yesterday. And so we kick ourselves and, you know, we're full of remorse and that allows us to procrastinate that little bit longer. Uh, in our passage today, Peter's looking at, you know, how do we live with a sense of urgency in the present as we look forward to the future? Uh, and there's nothing more urgent than the end. And so our passage today begins with these words in verse 7. The end of all things is near. 
The word end can have a positive or negative association. If end is the end of your employment, then obviously that's a negative association. Uh, but if you're a cyclist in the Tour de France and you're leading the peloton and you're on the home straight and you're about to win, then the end has a very positive association. And certainly for Paul, as he writes to Timothy, he looks forward to his end. And so this is what he writes. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And Paul can say that because he's confident that Christ has secured his salvation. And I hope that's our perspective as Christians as we look towards our end, uh, that we look forward with a sense of confident hope and expectation and even anticipation, uh, rather than a sense of fear and dread. But certainly that future should help us live with a sense of urgency in the present. Yeah, imagine if you only had three days to live. Yeah, how would you spend that time? I think for many people when they answer that question, it's all about you know, doing all the things that they have loved doing and all the things that they wish they had done. You know, they've got like a, a bucket list for life. And usually that list is uh, pretty selfish and pretty self-indulgent. I think for others it's about saying goodbye and reminiscing on the past. But for Christians, I hope it's about looking forward to the future and making sure that we are leaving our house in order, that we've done everything possible to commend Christ to those people that we love, that we've shared the hope that we have in Christ and that we've encouraged them to see their need to repent and believe and to follow Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. But of course, we often don't live like that because we don't feel that sense of urgency. You know, we don't like to spend too much time reflecting on our own end because that's a little bit depressing. Uh, and we don't feel that Jesus is coming again anytime soon. And so why do today what we could just always put off till tomorrow? You know, Jesus says that no one knows the hour when he will come again. But certainly for many of the Christians, the first generation of Christians, they believe that Jesus will be coming again during their lifetime. And as we read Peter's words here, it would seem that that's his expectation. But if we read a little bit more of Peter, and particularly in his second letter, he spends some time talking about his expectation of Jesus coming again, and this is what he's got to say. So he says, above all, you must understand that in these last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it is since the beginning of creation. And then a few verses later, he goes on to say, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow to keep his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So the word near connects most closely with the last days. And Peter is saying that there are no more major events between now and Jesus coming again. So there's nothing like Moses and the Exodus or Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament 
And there's certainly nothing like Jesus coming and dying on the cross for the sins of humanity. Jesus has come, he has died, he has saved us, and the next major event is him coming again to judge the living and the dead and to restore all things. And so whether Jesus comes again or calls us home, we need to live with urgency in the present. So continuing in verse 7, Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Alert and sober-minded speaks to clarity. Clarity about who we are and our purpose in life. And it sits in stark contrast for the readers of, of this letter to their former way of life that we read about last week. But sober is not the same as joyless. And I think for many people, there's a real fear that if I follow Jesus, then I'll miss out on all the, the fun of life. And that's certainly not what Peter is saying here. And sober in the context of this passage isn't limited to drunkenness, although drinking perhaps serves as a good illustration. Uh, because the sober life is one that recognises that life is good when we live in control, uh, that life is good when we live the way that God wants us to live, and that we should take you know, pleasure in our sober self rather than in the person we create in our drunk self. And it's about recognising that God does know what is best for us and how to live and how to get the most out of life. And one of the big themes from our passage last week was, do we trust God when he tells us how to live? And do we trust that God knows how to bring us happiness and satisfaction in this life? And an alert, sober life will lead to a prayerful life. You know, if we want to live focused, intentional, purposeful lives, if we recognise our role in loving and supporting and preparing others uh, in terms of their relationship with God, then we're going to need all the help that we can get. You know, prayer speaks to our devotion and confidence and dependence. You know, it starts with recognising that God is the one that saves us, and so we pray for God's mercy. But we also recognise that if we're going to love our enemy as ourselves, then that's going to take a miraculous intervention. That's not the sort of thing we can do with our natural instincts. And looking ahead in this passage, if we're going to be hospitable and love our brothers and sisters in Christ and serve one another, then we're going to need help because other people can be quite difficult and rude and talk about us behind our back and say things which are incredibly insensitive. You know, not me, of course, but I'm just saying other people can be really hard work. And so it's going to take genuine effort and sometimes genuine sacrifice. And that means we need to pray for God's strength. You know, so far in this letter, uh, Peter has largely focused on what does it mean for Christians to live as foreigners in the world. Uh, but this passage brings it a little bit closer to home to what does it mean for Christians to live as foreigners in the world together as a community of God's people. And so it starts with love. Verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Peter is not saying that if we love others, that God will simply ignore the rest of our sin as if it doesn't matter. And he's not saying that we should simply cover up our sin, you know, kind of try to shove it under the rug, uh, and hope that no one notices. But in the meantime, there's all this bitterness and resentment just building up. 
I remember as a young kid, a mate and I decided to we'd do high jump in his bedroom. And so we put up this piece of string and the idea was you had to clear the piece of string and then land on his bed. And, and his final jump was awesome. You know, he launches, he's over the string, lands on his bed, uh, but just a little bit too much forward momentum. And so as he lands on his bed, his hip literally goes straight through the gyprock wall. And so there's this whopping big hole. And, you know, we're a little bit worried about how his parents might, you know, react to this hole in the wall. And so we come up with this ingenious plan uh, to hide it. And so we simply put his pillow over the front and hope that, you know, his mum will never notice. Uh, unfortunately, the plan uh, was a little bit flawed. Uh, sure enough, his mum comes into the room to, to clean up at some point, discovers the hole, and is, you know, rather disappointed and angry. And uh, we got to, you know, experience uh, some of that wrath. And it's a little bit like that with sin. If we try to cover it up or pretend that it hasn't happened, sooner or later, it will come back to bite us. Uh, so if Peter isn't talking about simply covering up sin, you know, what is he talking about? And I think what he's talking about here, and to stay with the analogy, it's not simply pretending that it doesn't happen. Uh, it's about acknowledging the sin for what it is and then dealing with it and repairing the problem to a point where there's nothing left to see. And it's hard. It means that everyone needs to be willing to participate in the process. But if we've done the wrong thing, if we've sinned against our brother or sister in Christ, then we need to acknowledge that to that person and we need to ask for their forgiveness. And if someone has sinned against us, then rather than simply bottling it up uh, or talking to everyone but the person, we need to go and see that person and talk it through. And the goal is not to simply seek revenge uh, or to hurt them because they hurt you, but to seek reconciliation. And so we need to be ready to forgive as Christ has forgiven us to the point where that sin is completely covered over, where there is nothing left to see. You know, a healthy church is not one that is without conflict. A healthy church is one that recognises conflict and then is willing to deal with that conflict so that there might be reconciliation. And certainly in this period, we've gone through a whole stack of change going from live church to podcast, and now we're about to go back to live church. Uh, some people over this time have felt very connected. Some people have felt incredibly disconnected. And I'm sure there are times where we have felt disappointed uh, by people around us. And so certainly, if that's how you feel, then we should be seeking to talk that through and to seek reconciliation. And if we fail to do something that we should have done, then we need to be ready to say sorry. But if it's not an issue of sin, uh, and it's more of an issue of, of being disappointed or let down or different expectations, then can I encourage us to let go of that hurt? You know, to invest our emotional energy in building others up rather than dwelling on the disappointment of others letting us down. And one way that we can build one another up uh, looking at verse 9, is offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality is about being generous and welcoming. So it might be inviting someone into your home for a meal or a cup of coffee, or it might be inviting someone to join a, a larger group of people uh, when you head out for a meal or out for a picnic. It might be having a cup of coffee with a new person to welcome them and just to hear a little bit of their story and how they've come to be at church. 
or if none of that is possible, then perhaps just giving someone a call and seeing how they're going. You know, whatever our expression of hospitality, uh, it's going to take some effort. Uh, and at times it's going to be difficult. And we've got to be careful that we do it with a generous spirit rather than begrudgingly. You know, doing something because we should is better than not doing it at all, uh, but infinitely better still uh, is doing something joyfully. Do it because we want to see that other person feel loved and welcomed and supported. And the more that we share life together as a church outside of our programs, then the more we will grow together individually and personally and collectively, and the healthier we will be as a community of Christians. So we need to love one another, uh, we need to offer hospitality, and we need to use whatever gifts God has given us to serve others. So verse 10, each of you should use whatever gifts you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So if love and hospitality are for everyone, then gifts are specific. They're from God, they're for serving other people. They might be pastoral, they might be practical, but they're about supporting others and helping them grow in their love for Christ. And so for some, it might be that you're gifted at sharing your faith with other people. It just comes easily and naturally. And for others, it's about sitting with other Christians and you know, opening the Bible together and praying together and just being a really good encourager. And for others, it might be sharing a meal or fixing a tap. You know, at the beginning of the year, which seems like a very long time ago now, uh, we talked about how we might use our gifts to serve one another. And at the time, I, I shared a bit of a, a list uh, and a bunch of questions just to help us to think through what our gifts might be. Because often that's the challenge, isn't it? You know, what am I good at and how am I going to use that to honour God? And so let me share that list again. Uh, it's got a few additions, but hopefully it's just helpful as we start a new season of church life. You know, what are you good at and how might you use that to honour God? So here's our list of questions. Do I love Jesus and do other people see that I love Jesus? What is motivating me to use my gifts, my glory or God's? What personality traits do I have that I could use to serve others? Am I better at talking to people or serving behind the scenes? What abilities and experiences has God given me that I could use to serve others? What am I passionate about? What needs do I see around me? What time can I realistically and sustainably and generously make available? And we need to answer those questions prayerfully, but also with a strong sense of self-awareness. You know, I've never been into shows like The Voice, but it's always awkward watching those train wreck auditions where someone comes on and they're incredibly enthusiastic, but they just don't realise that they've got no natural talent for singing whatsoever. You know, it doesn't diminish who they are as a person and good on them for trying. But we do need to recognise that we're just not all good at everything. And sometimes the things that we would like to be good at, we're just not. And that's okay, because God has gifted us to be good at other things. And so we need to work out, well, what has God given me and how can I use that well? So however you're using your gifts at the moment, can I really encourage you, as you look at those questions, uh, think about how you are serving God right now. 
And you might want to share that with your spouse or in your connect group or with just someone else that you trust. Because God has given each of us so much uh, and we have been incredibly blessed as a church. But we want to make sure that we're good stewards of that. And we want to make sure that we use our gifts well. You know, so God has given every single one of us gifts. And thankfully, he's also the one that gives us the words and the strength to use those gifts well. So verse 11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So often we feel inadequate for the task. Uh, we're lazy, we get tired, we feel the pressure of other people's expectation. Sometimes serving involves conflict and we'd really prefer to avoid conflict if we possibly can. Uh, thankfully, we don't serve God in our own strength. And thankfully, as we speak God's word, we're not just relying on our own wisdom. Uh, and Paul says something similar in his letter to the Corinthians when he says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So in our weakness, it's good to know that God is the one who gives us strength. He's the one who gives us the strength to turn up at Cross Life Kids, even though we're exhausted and we've had a busy week. He's the one who helps us to persevere when we don't see the results that we hoped for uh, after all of our time and effort and energy. Uh, he's the one who gives us the strength to love our neighbour and to go the extra mile and who guides our words and our thinking as we prepare to speak his word and gives us the strength to stand up and speak even though we feel often completely inadequate and ill-equipped for the task. So when we feel weak, the answer is to pray for God's strength. And when we do that, we see the result in verse 11. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. It's easy to do the right things for the wrong reasons. Uh, we all like to please other people. We like the respect that comes with responsibility and the sense of significance that comes with success. And so we always need to check our motivations. And as Christians, our motivation should always be a desire to see God praised. And we want to see that in ourselves, but we also want to stir up and fuel and fan that praise in our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because everything we have and everything we achieve is only possible because God has power over everything. Uh, he is the one who saves us. He is the one who equips us. He is the one who gives us the strength to use the gifts that he has given us. And so he is the one who deserves all our praise and honour and glory. So as we continue to adapt to our world of change and as we prepare to come back together next week, I hope we're thinking about how we might honour God in this time, how we might praise God and put him first. And then I hope we're thinking about how we might serve others. And that will come at a cost, particularly at this time, as we have to do things so differently. And then finally, we can ask ourselves the question, well, what's my preference? And if my preference doesn't negatively impact anyone else, then fantastic. But we need to put things in the right order. God first, others second, me third. Amen.
Thanks for joining us this morning for our podcast. It's been great to be together. And if you've been watching this on Facebook, then it'd be wonderful if you could go on now and leave just a brief comment as a way of encouraging everyone else. Uh, don't forget in the week ahead that next week we'll be meeting face to face at church. And so please uh, watch Facebook, uh, check our website, and we'll also send out an email with all the details about how that will work. And if you can't join us face to face, then there's still the live stream. Well, that brings us to an end for our time together. Have a great week. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.